The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, so I think we'll begin. As I said earlier, I'm Diana Clark, and I'd like to wish you all a warm welcome. And this is week two of a four-week course on the calendar. Um, We said it was Introduction to Metta. And as I was thinking about it and preparing for this course, I modified a little bit to um, be Introduction to, um, we can call them the Brahma Viharas. So that is four different types of loving kindness. So um, often loving kindness is taught, you start, you know, when, with uh, yourself or with a benefactor and spread out and out to more and more individuals. And that's um, a, one way that it's taught. I'm, gonna do, I'm doing something a little bit different for these four weeks. And instead, I'm starting with loving kindness. And, and you're welcome to come in. You can move any chair you'd like or put a cushion wherever you'd like to. But um, when we're... To the cultivation of loving kindness, which was the topic of um, last week, and I'll talk, I'll build on that a little bit this week. But it's okay if you weren't here preceding week. But loving kindness, as we develop it, cultivate it, as we start to experience it more and more, it's just natural that it starts to expand, and that we start finding ourselves um, wishing it for more and more types of people, and more and more situations as, as we continue to cultivate it it gets bigger and bigger and maybe expands and matures so in this expansion of this our intention for loving kindness our intention for goodwill for care respect warmth it's just natural that this come across beings who are having difficulties who are suffering Right. Suffering is part of everybody's life, all humans, all animals. Part of, you know, just part of being alive is to also encounter some difficulties, some suffering, some pain. And so when our intentions for loving kindness encounter these beings that are having this suffering, it's just natural that our intentions for goodwill and warmth expand to include intentions or wishes that the suffering or the difficulties end. So that's compassion. Compassion is loving kindness with a sincere wish that suffering end when it encounters suffering. Sounds pretty straightforward. It's not quite so simple sometimes. And sometimes some ways to... Um, talk about what compassion is, it might be helpful sometimes to talk about what it is not. So while compassion includes recognizing and perhaps resonating some with the difficulties of others, it doesn't mean that we necessarily feel exactly what they are feeling, what others are feeling. For example, if your partner comes home from work and is um, complaining because their boss was uh, mean to them, and you are indignant and exclaim, how could she have treated you that way? And then you get all angry and then start yelling, or I don't know, yelling, but at least get all agitated. Yeah, so you have this, you're feeling what your partner is feeling, but it's not really helpful. 
Instead, a more helpful response might be to show care and concern and say, I'm sorry you had a rough day. What can I do to help? Would you like a cup of tea? Maybe we should go for a walk. Maybe we could cook dinner together. You know, something like that, right? So this means that um, having this kind of emotional resonance with another person, it can help us to have compassion, but it's not required that we have this exact attitude. Another scenario, we can imagine that maybe we're sitting on a plane and we're sitting next to somebody who has a fear of flying and we can just tell by their body language and maybe they're really stiff and not like kind of like speechless and white knuckling the uh, the handles but the weather is beautiful the pilot is experienced you yourself might have a lot of experience of taking off in planes and having them land successfully so you have a sincere wish for that other person to not um, suffer, but you aren't getting into the anxiety with them. Instead, you're allowing your calm presence to reassure them. Out of compassion, you're caring for their, um, their emotional state but, um, and wishing that it would shift, but not necessarily getting agitated in the same way. One other thing that compassion is not is that often um, when we, we can experience what uh, might be called empathic distress. So that is when we witness or we learn about other people's difficulties that we might feel this like, troubling anxiety or anxiousness. So empathic distress entails feeling suffering ourselves that is provoked by the other. So it's not in resonance with them, it's just provoked by seeing that causes it in us. As opposed to compassion, which is a feeling for the other. I care for you, I have concern for you, I may have love for you, and I wish that your suffering would end. So empathic distress if we feel like we're um, feeling anxiety or uncomfortable with um, seeing or um, witnessing other people's suffering, then that often um, just helps promote us to have some avoidance behavior <laughs> than instead of compassion. If we're going to know that we're going to be feeling anxiety, then we tend to look away, not engage with. So true compassion is focused on ourselves, not on others. I'm sorry, I said that opposite. True compassion (laughs) is focused um, not on the wish for the other to be free from suffering. As soon as it starts turning into, oh my gosh, this feels awful, then that's not quite compassion. It's completely natural. This sometimes happens, right, when we encourage suffering that we start to feel anxiety. And I'll talk in a minute what we can do with that. But compassion is about this feeling of care and a sincere wish that other difficulties, others' difficulties end. These two components. So it's definitely, it's rooted in love. It's rooted in warmth and care and goodwill. It's like the foundation of it, foundation of compassion. 
Maybe I'll say one last thing about um, what compassion is not. Compassion isn't pity. It isn't an egocentric, condescending feeling of commiseration. Like you might see uh, um, somebody who is homeless and want to donate to them. And you may give them something that they need, but you may have this feeling of superiority, like, you know, what, what are you doing out here on the streets? You know, here's uh, some money or something like this. Right? That's not compassion. In compassion, there's a, kind of a sense of humiliation for the one that's receiving. And instead, compassion, no, there's a sense of equality. Like you're another, you're a being just like I am. And you wish to be free from suffering just like I wish to be free from suffering. So when the and kind of like pity, there's a bit of sadness that comes first. It's like maybe the first feeling. Whereas com- with compassion, when we encounter suffering, warmth, care, concern, loving kindness, goodwill, come first. So maybe uh, I'm building on this idea that compassion is a care that is rooted in love care, concern. Compassion is also not as niceness. This like kind of like papering over everything with uh, roses and um, unicorns and it's not this niceness that's rooted in a fear of confrontation. It's not a pleasantness rooted in an idea that we shouldn't exercise our judgment or discernment. Compassion endeavors to alleviate suffering and to support others in alleviating their suffering. And in order to do this, it might be helpful, it might be wise to point out to somebody, to point out to some individuals in a kind, warm-hearted way some of the consequences of their actions. They may not know the suffering that they're causing themselves or the suffering that they're causing others, the suffering they're causing you. So helping them to see the, uh, the consequences of their actions, this might be that compassion needs to be a little bit fierce. Maybe it needs to let people know um, that the consequences of their actions. It might require that we say no. It might require that we... Um, Uh, maintain boundaries, that we set boundaries for ourselves. So compassion isn't um, an opportunity for people to walk all over us or for us to pretend that everything's nicey-nice. Instead, it's a type of courage. It's a type of strength. It's a type of power rooted in love. And this way, it can be really, really... um, really transformative and really powerful. In the Buddhist tradition, compassion has a big role. And there's a number of ways we can teach about it. And maybe I'll take this opportunity to say that Nikki Mergafuri, she'll be teaching a four-week class on compassion. And the date escapes me. It starts in July. I don't remember which one, but it's uh, Wednesday evenings at 7.30. And I'm checking the IMC calendar. So she'll be talking about compassion more and in more depth and um, 
often including how to expand it to more and more types of individuals. I'm going to start today practicing compassion where it's easiest. There's absolutely no reason not to start where it's easiest. We don't get badges or ribbons or (laughs) any uh, trophies for starting where it's hard and doing the really difficult work. Compassion is about creating the conditions in our heart and our minds that makes it more likely that we'll feel care and compassion when we meet suffering. That makes it easier to have access to that when we experience difficulties. So, getting back to the compassion in the Buddhist tradition. The tradition holds that the Buddha, often there's in the stories, are saying that he was teaching out of compassion. So, in this way, he was like trying to show people, here's how... Can you see the suffering? And can you? Fi- here are some ways to find your way out of this suffering. And right, we benefit today from many of these teachings. But in the same way, the Buddha also, right, he laid down clear rules for the monastics to live by. He encouraged people or those who weren't monastics to um, follow the precepts, as kind of ethical guidelines, because it would help them to have less suffering and cause help them not to cause suffering for others. But also, the Buddha, he did rebuke those individuals who are misrepresenting his teachings. So I guess I want to kind of emphasize that compassion is a beautiful, powerful thing that can be transformative. But it also can be something that we may need to practice or to to cultivate and develop. Maybe it isn't our first response when we come across suffering to want to respond with the openness of the heart and warmth and care. So to help us cultivate it, we can do some compassion meditation. So I'm going to lead us through um, two meditations today. This first one is going to be compassion more in the kind of a classic sense. And for those of you who are familiar with the happy hour that um, I've been teaching on Wednesday evenings, this is in the same style of that. And that is to have um, three aspects of compassion meditation practice. The first is to bring to mind somebody for whom, for um, we're going to start somebody for whom is a loved one, a dear one, somebody for whom it's easy for us to feel loving kindness, warmth, care, respect. Let me feel this in the body. And then we'll practice with that with a little bit just kind of a a sense of love for the individual. And then we'll imagine that they're having a small difficulty, not the biggest difficulty, not the most complicated one, maybe an irritation. And then we tap into how does it feel for us to kind of have both this love and this recognition that they are experiencing a little bit of difficulty. And then to support our intention to cultivate compassion, we'll repeat some phrases. And I'll guide us through that, that we'll say some phrases, and you can say them silently after me in your mind as a way to kind of help the mind come back 
to this wish, uh, uh, this intention for cultivating compassion. I'll remind us again while we're doing the guided meditation, but I'll also say here that if you find that you're slipping into anxiety or anxiousness or some real uncomfortableness or not able to stay with the difficulty, it's perfectly fine, perfectly fine. You can do two things. One is you can go back to either just wishing love for that person, stop imagining their difficulties and just imagining them being happy or whatever else feels comforting and helpful and supportive for you. And, or, you can do uh, mindfulness of breathing, just bring your attention to the sensations of the breath moving. Again, I want to say this, that um, the intention here is to cultivate this real concern for other people's difficulties and the sincere, warm-hearted wish that those difficulties end. But sometimes it's not so easy. I want to acknowledge that. And if you find that you're not feeling compassion, but instead feeling a little bit of distress, there's no need to keep on going with the distress and this idea you're going to white-knuckle it and push through. Instead, have compassion for yourself. Go to something else where you can kind of revive the sense of love and well-being. So I'll guide us through a meditation practice and then I'll open it up for comments and questions and things like this. I think I'll take a sip of water here. So you're welcome to adjust your posture, your seating position in any way that feels like it would be helpful for you to sustain for Maybe about 15 minutes or so. Yes, Mary. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I don't want people to be thinking that the volume is too low. Okay, so that's definitely higher, right? But my vo- it will go down. And if you'd like, there are hearing-assisted devices too, right uh, um, on the table right be- outside the door there. Some people find that helpful. If you find yourself uh, straining to here. I'll try to keep my voice loud. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> okay. Hmm. So let's begin by taking an alert, upright posture that expresses your intention of cultivating compassion, but also expresses some kindness and warmth and care. Can you have alertness with with relaxation, with a certain type of dignity, with allowing the posture of the body to support the mind? And we'll begin with Three long, slow, deep breaths. Perhaps with the exhale, there's a certain amount of relaxation or letting go. 
and to support a sense of well-being and a certain amount of comfort, it can be helpful to first allow the breath to return to normal and trust that the body knows how to breathe. We don't have to do anything in terms of controlling the breath. And then we can bring our attention to those areas of the body where stress or tension, tightness, contraction is often held. Maybe around the eyes or the jaw. The shoulders. Checking to see if they're up around your ears. Can they relax and go down? Check in with the chest. Is it open and upright or is there some collapsed and closed? What about the belly? Can you soften the belly? upper back and the lower back. And feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. Allow it to remind you you're here, feeling grounded, present. The upper legs, the lower legs, and the feet. The feet are another place where we can feel grounded, steadied, present. Our arms and our hands. We'll begin with a little bit of mindfulness of the sensations of breathing. That is, you can feel the movement of the abdomen or the chest or perhaps the feeling of the air going in and out of the nose. Whichever area feels the most accessible, the most vivid, the most supportive. Just very simply, you can rest your awareness there. Wouldn't be surprising if you find yourself lost in thought. And if that's the case, just very simply, very gently come back to the sensations of breathing.
when our mind has slipped off of the sensations of breathing, just very simply begin again. You can always come back to this practice, mindfulness of breathing. If you ever find yourself overwhelmed or distressed or confused or for whatever reason, it's always an option to come back here. Now we'll do a little bit of loving kindness practice in terms of bringing to mind someone for whom it's easy to feel love easy to feel warmth, care, concern, respect. Notice how this feels, this warmth, care, respect. Notice how it feels in your body, Notice how it feels in your heart center. Maybe there's a feeling of warmth and openness, tenderness. Maybe not too. It's perfectly fine if there isn't any clear physical sensations. Continue breathing and can focus on this, the love, the care that you feel for this being in a way that makes sense for you. You might visualize Maybe there's a golden light coming from your heart that touches them. Or maybe you're sending or cultivating loving kindness by quietly, softly in your mind saying, may you be happy. can combine a visualization with words, or you can do one or the other. And if this is just too complicated, why you stick with the phrases? May you be happy. If 
it makes sense. Maybe the phrase is something like, I love you. Then imagine that this loved one is experiencing a mild difficulty, an annoyance, an irritation. Maybe they have a cold. Maybe they're running late for an appointment and are feeling a little bit agitated. We're not choosing the most difficult things to begin with. How does this feel, recognizing their difficulty? How does this feel in your body? Can you stay connected to the feelings of love and warmth while also wishing that their difficulty will end? And then to help support our intention to cultivate compassion, you can repeat these phrases silently in your mind while having your left one in mind. May your difficulties be eased. difficulties be eased. May you find peace. May your difficulties be eased. May you find peace. May your difficulties be eased. May you find peace. 
Can you allow yourself to feel this warm-hearted wish for any of their difficulties or pain or suffering to be alleviated? use any sensations of care, sensations of concern or love, warmth that you have in the body, maybe in the heart center. Allow those to support you, support your intention for cultivating compassion. Again, bringing to mind this lovable being and imagining some difficulty they might be having. May your difficulties be eased. May you find peace. May your difficulties be eased. May you find peace. May your difficulties be eased. May you find peace. May your difficulties be eased. May you find peace. And then to end this meditation, feel the pressure of the chair against your body, chair or the cushion. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So for that guided meditation, I kind of 
Give us a long uh, introduction so that we don't slip right into feeling distress when we turn towards distress of others. Body scan to help the body feel a little bit more relaxed and comfortable. Then some mindfulness of breathing. And then to cultivate a little bit or dip into some loving kindness. That is our sincere wish for goodwill or warmth and care, love. And then to notice, how does it feel when we notice that this person or to bring to mind when they uh, might be experiencing some difficulty? And then can we cultivate this wish for their difficulties to end by using these two phrases, which we can just use as a way to just keep on returning, keep on returning. It's a way to support our intention. All the while, maybe like using the body as a support, there might be some warm-hearted feelings that we literally feel as some warmth in the heart center somehow. So now I'd like to hear from all of you, how was that? Do you have any questions about the practice or some of the things that I said earlier? Anything you'd like to share? Any comments? And we'll use the microphone so everybody can hear. Thank you. Well, I was with you through most of it. Um, I definitely was able to cultivate that sense of loving kindness for uh, the person and definitely felt it very strongly like a ball of energy in my chest. And um, uh, I can't say I felt anxious anxious, but I did feel sort of concern in, in the second part, but I had a hard time uh, uh, when you were when uh, when you were saying, may your difficulties be eased because um, I couldn't separate thinking that from actually saying that to the person in that situation, which I, I think would not really get a good reaction you know it would just be kind of like that's that's not what people say and I know this is a, a separate thing but it's just kind of a hard when you're imagining that situation to separate it from what might actually what would actually happen this means that you're not not walking around saying to people may your difficulties be eased <laughs> I'm not saying that either <laughs> yeah this is a, an interesting thing that you brought up thank you so what are these phrases? Like, what's the purpose of them? What, what are them? And um, it makes perfect sense that you would imagine that you're saying that. So I guess I have two things to say. One is um, that phrases are to support our cultivating the intention and the, maybe the feeling of compassion, the intention of compassion. So it's less likely that you would actually say that, but maybe it's, I think you know this too, right? But maybe it makes the easiest to imagine that you would say that. Maybe the second thing I'll say is there's nothing magic about these phrases. We can change them to something that is more meaningful, that may perhaps resonates with us. So may, may you, yeah, like we don't even say to people, may your something like this. But that's more like an expression of this 
our wish for their suffering to end. So may your suffering end. May this difficulty end. I wish this weren't the case right now for you or something like this. I don't know. And this can be part of the fun of actually of compassion practice is to experiment and play and explore with different phrases. Just try some on and feel like, oh gosh, that feels uh, stilted. It feels I can't connect with it. It's too forced, contrived. And abandon it and try something else. But I'm offering these. These are kind of some ones that the tradition holds, but there's nothing magic about them. We get to choose ones that feel meaningful for us. That's a great question. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I've been trying this this sort of meditation for the past week since your last class, and it's it's a new form for me. Um, I have to say I found it extremely difficult, much much more difficult than mindfulness meditation or kind of following the breath meditation that I'm used to. And it may be because I'm not used to it because it's new. Um, I think what I found the most difficult about it is simply visualization, which um, I, uh, is sort of an, I, I, I don't seem to have a facility for it somehow. I, I mean, I can imagine someone's, what they, what they look like, certainly, but I, I, I'm, I'm sort of going in and out of it a lot, and then I, my, my mind starts working and thinking I'm not really seeing this person correctly, and it becomes this whole thing about not really doing it right somehow. Um, so that's my first comment. But the second comment is, um, in this time when you were asking us to sort of pay attention to where this is going on in, in the body, I felt very much that in the in the giving of compassion, it was definitely down sort of here around my belly. And then when there was the difficulty, I could feel it sort of rising, I think, as the sort of tension of that situation rose. And I found it helpful to be aware of that because then I could think about, again, sort of bringing my breath back to my belly. Um, and that seemed to be sort of a, a move back toward compassion um, and away from the kind of anxiety of this person's difficulty. Fantastic. That's great that you can notice the the different sensations in the body uh, you know, with the different practices or the different you know, loving kindness versus compassion and to use it to support you. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. And then this point about visualization. I also am somebody who has difficulties visualizing. Some people it's easy. If you're trained as an artist, maybe it's easy or something like this. A few things I'll say about this. One, there's absolutely no need for this to be like high definition <laughs> of visualization, right? It can be, and I'll say for myself, it often is not, I can't necessarily even see their faces. It's just a sense that it's this particular person, not anybody else. That's often the feeling I have. And um, and I, I even said the word feeling I have. Because sometimes visualization, just like you said, can feel like uh, it's uh, we're efforting too much, trying to come back. And you even mentioned maybe some self-critical that comes in like, oh, I can't do this. There's no need to feel like it has to be any particular way. Just You could just gently inquire, am I somehow connected to this individual? And if the answer is yes, that's good enough. 
That's all we're going for. It doesn't have to be a clear um, picture of them. It may be no picture whatsoever, but maybe for some people it's a felt sense that you can't even quite describe, that you just know that you have this kind of experience when you're imagining that person. That's that's what we're going for. Just to kind of uh, have be able to cultivate loving kindness in this case with somebody or with a loved one so um, yeah I would play with this also with this kind of idea of visualization like oh maybe I don't have to see their face I just for me sometimes I'll say that I just know this this person is a tall person because I'm not very tall I notice though uh, people are tall and they have dark hair they have light hair they have medium hair and that's maybe all I get but it still works. Is that, is that helpful? Yeah, totally, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else have some comments? I think Mary had one, and then we can. Okay. Um, I noticed I had some anxiety about picking a person because um, if it's like, I have a really good friend, and I wanted to use her, but I noticed that she irritates me, uh, you know, at times. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, sometimes I just find her annoying. So, so she's not someone I really love completely. No, you can love people completely, oh, really? and they still annoy you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, see, that's part of the judgment that came up for me. Like, oh, I can't pick her because... Sometimes she's, you know, doesn't do what I want her to do. And um, so um, then I tried my cat, but I felt like I had to pick a person. You know, all this is going through my head. So I actually ended up picking someone who I've never met, but um, who I know is going through some significant health challenges. And so um, after I settled on a person, it just became a lot easier. And I actually appreciated your phrases because I found that's often what I want to say to him when he's talking about these health issues is, you know, I want to say, may your difficulties be ease. And I felt like that was like the perfect thing (laughs) that I could feel you know, and send to him. So thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's fantastic how you went like, oh, this person, nope, not quite right. Oh, no, not quite right. That's often how it is when we start. And then you may discover like, oh, you know, this person works for this particular practice and that may work for a long time and then that person doesn't work anymore. I think the... Again, I'll encourage you to explore and play around and experiment with this. It sounds like it's exactly what you were doing. And it sounds like you found uh, somebody for whom it works. And then just be sensitive if you find yourself easily falling into distress. Because um, you mentioned significant health challenges. So that might be a place where we could start to feel a bit overwhelmed about the magnitude of their difficulties. And um, it is very common to choose people whom we don't know. It's a starting place because those relationships are not complicated. 
they don't annoy us as much, right? Or it may be religious leaders or leaders that we may know from somebody else, somewhere else or for something like this. And when I teach loving kindness, where we start, I talk a lot about this, about choosing people where it's, where it's easy. Where it's easy, and it sounds like you found somebody, so that's great. Thank you. And then can we send it to Mary back there? Um, uh, with compassion, um, I find it, it's okay if not, if I'm not thinking about saying it aloud to the person, but, uh, in remembering your comments about, uh, you don't get all involved, you don't get all excited and everything, you know, that was sort of a modus operandi in my family. If you weren't all upset, if you weren't all concerned, if you weren't uh, in uproar, then what's wrong with you? Don't you have any feelings here? Yeah. You know, it was it was really, uh, in order to show concern, you had to be filled with the upset, you know? And and so that I kind of like, I don't think about doing it aloud to people because it's kind of like, I'm saying those things to myself, you know. I mean, don't you really care? All that kind of stuff. Even though intellectually I know that's not necessary and it's more, you know, it gets messy with that. I get sucked into their troubles and then I'm right in the muck too, you know. But it is really, it, it's, it's uh, I, I can't, I can't think about I'm being compassionate. I just have to say, like, gosh, I hope it gets better or something, without thinking I'm being compassionate, you know, because then it gets all messy. Fantastic. So were you able to just say, gosh, I hope it gets better, and to think that and to feel that? And uh, well, you know, I, I just concern. didn't even go there saying it aloud to them. Yeah, yeah, there's no reason to imagine that exactly that you're right. saying that. Right. We're just using the phrases as a way to support the mind's intention to cultivate compassion. In the same way, like when we're doing mindfulness of breathing, we have like the breath as the object, and then the mind wanders, and then we just come back to the breath, and the mind mm-hmm. wanders, and we come back to the breath, and we do that a quadrillion, bazillion times. Mm-hmm. In the same way, loving kindness and compassion practice, we're choosing the object is our intention to cultivate loving kindness, to cultivate compassion. But how do we know when we slipped off? A way to help us slip off to know that is to be saying the phrases and then to come back to the phrases as a way to kind of be supporting us. So we don't even have to say phrases. I'm, I'm teaching that right now. It's, there's other ways to practice compassion that don't use phrases. But instead, use them in a way that's helpful. But if they're not helpful, then you can just imagine... Gosh, I hope you feel feel better. Does well, you know, it, it was okay as long as it was all within me, like nobody could hear what I was saying. Yeah. It was okay because it's okay with me not to get play uproar with situations. Uh, it's that when sounds I like sli- some wisdom. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's when I was thinking, you know, what would it be like if I was really in a situation where it would be comforting to say something aloud. Then it kind of got, <laughs> you know, I got... 
This is great, Mary. And it's so great to recognize that some families, some cultures, some communities, that's how you express that you love somebody is that you get in an uproar when anything's happened to them. But what we discover, right, that's draining for us. And often it doesn't allow the best versions of ourselves to show up. It doesn't allow our greatest wisdom to show up if we ourselves are in a wash and feelings and being pushed around by these feelings. Right. And, and in observing this, it becomes the person that's really suffering is forgotten, <laughs> you know. And it's the one playing the uproar that pulls all the energy, you know, when really the focus should be on who is really suffering. Who is yeah, the one yeah, that is suffering, right. you know. So it's, um, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting now to... I can't always stay as the observer but it's just like it's it's interesting to watch when people play uproar yeah it's really interesting it's fascinating right yeah and how yeah. we can get sucked in and then there's an uproar that then for just the sake of uproarness and right you're just right yeah right yeah and it makes me think about is it true that i have to be like that in order to be sincere in order to have compassion, in order to have any of those things, then I really question myself, is, is, it, is it true? And more and more, I'm seeing, no, no, it's not true. I don't need to behave like that. It's much better because then I lose my clarity. I lose my clarity when I'm sucked into that stuff. So it's not that I can always do it, you know, because it's such a kind of an ingrained thing, um, and then I can hear the voices, what's wrong? Don't you care? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's up with you? you know? <laughs> so yeah. anyway, thank you. And it is helpful to, to have words to go with it yeah. because I get lost more easily if I don't yeah. have some words to help yeah. me clarify what am I doing here. Yeah. So thank you for the phrases. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what they're for. The words are to help anchor us in our intention. Yeah. There's a way that we can do this where it's all just visualization and we can do this without uh, phrases. And I think Nikki will kind of explore this in July when she does uh, four uh-huh. weeks on compassion. So she'll explore some of these different ways yeah. in which you can do this without phrases or use something else. Yeah. But thank you for sharing this, Mary. Because I think you're, I know you're absolutely right. We lose our clarity and we can't be as effective as we might be otherwise if we are lost in what's the, the I like this word, uproar. <laughs> so maybe I'll use that as a segue to talk, to talk a little bit about um, compassion for ourselves. Right? Um, you know the way that I'm describing it so far is about like you know encountering suffering in others, but you know we suffer ourselves too, of course. And then maybe I'll say that in the classic Buddhist teachings, their um, compassion for oneself is treated the same as compassion for everybody else. There isn't anything unique about it. But in today's world, there's been this real recognition because of the prevalence of self-criticism, this prevalence of this feeling like we're just inadequate, not good enough, not haven't done enough, don't have enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. There can be, it's really helpful to have this emphasis on self-compassion or compassion for oneself. 
So um, maybe I'll point to the work by Kristen Neff who and Christopher Germer. These are two um, people who are influenced by Buddhist teachings, but they're definitely in the secular world. They're both professors of psychology or sociology. I'm not sure which. And they've done a lot about um, self-compassion. I'm not going to follow precisely what they do here at IMC. I know that Hilary Borson teaches mindful self-compassion. She's been trained by them on how to do that. So I intended to um, check to see if the recordings of when Hilary teaches it are on Audio Dharma. I'm not sure. But they may be, and if so, I encourage you to listen to it or to um, look at some books. But I'll say a little bit about uh, some compassion for oneself. So often, it's so easy to do, is to fall into this, um, slip into you, slide into this evaluation, oh, I'm not a good person because I can't X, Y, or Z. I didn't X, Y, or Z. Or it's difficult for me to X, Y, or Z. So... With compassion for ourselves, rather than making these global evaluations, I'm a bad person, or even I'm a good person, and then we feel like we have to prop that up. Rather than making these global evaluations, can we just recognize that we're human beings? Just like everybody else. And human beings make mistakes, they're imperfect, sometimes do things that are unhelpful and unskillful. It's part of the human condition. And can we generate kindness towards ourselves anyway? Anyway, even though we've made mistakes. So, the practice of compassion for oneself, in the same way as we did for compassion for others, is to turn towards our difficulties and to embrace it as best we can with feelings of care with feelings of this, with a connected presence. We actually know how to do this because we know how to treat others, our good friends, our family members, when they are experiencing difficulties. Can we treat ourselves the way that we treat loved ones in our family, loved, loved friends? So this was, uh, there was a big article about self-compassion that's in just, uh, I just read recently, and this little scenario was in there, and I loved it, so I'm going to share it here. So imagine that a close friend calls you, and they just got dumped by the person that she was seeing, and she's heartbroken, sad, and crying, and, and you tell your friend, well, to be perfectly honest, he probably left you because you were old and ugly and boring. <laughs> you're needy and you're dependent and you're at least 20 pounds overweight and your hair is turning gray and look at all that gray. Have you haven't looked in the mirror lately? I just give up now. There's really no hope of ever finding anyone who's ever going to love you. I mean, frankly, you don't deserve it. Would you ever talk to any of your friends this way? No, no. But sometimes we talk to our, ourselves this way or some version of this, right? It's ridiculous to hear it out loud, right? It's even like heartbreaking to hear that. But sometimes we talk to ourselves this way. 
So to have compassion for ourselves is to, as best we can, to embrace our difficulties with some warmth, with some care, with some kindness. Recognize all of us have difficulties. We are not an exception. We are experiencing difficulties. But it's not helpful to turn away from them and pretend that they're not there. But to meet with them and and to work with them, these difficulties. And in this way, having compassion for ourselves or self-compassion motivates us to make needed changes in our lives. Not because we're inadequate or not because we're bad, but because we care about ourselves, because we want to lessen our suffering. This can be, this is, can be a radical shift. We may think that, um, well, if I am compassionate towards myself, that's just being self-indulgent. But as it turns out, that to be compassionate for ourselves is not to just go indulging in self short I'm sorry, in short term pleasures. Instead, those people who practice self compassion, in fact, are engaging in healthier behaviors, like eating well, exercising, taking care of their relationships, drinking less, or going to the doctor more regularly. Recently, there's been a lot of scientific studies on this who have shown this to be true. The self-compassion practice isn't about indulgence, it's about taking care of yourself. We may also have the mistaken idea that self-criticism, beating ourselves up, is an effective motivator. It's the only way we're going to get things done or be the best version of ourselves. But in fact, there's been a lot of research into this too and find that that is not true. Self-criticism tends to undermine our self-confidence if we're always beating ourselves up. And instead of motivating us to be the best that we can be, it often leads to this fear of failure, which then kind of makes our world get smaller and smaller if we have this fear of failure. We don't want to try new things. We don't want to change our behaviors or have new experiences or play and explore things. So self-criticism often leads to this fear of failure, which leads to a not being the best version of ourselves, the best that are reaching our, our potential. So this can be a practice. Self-criticism can be a real deeply ingrained habit. It's really... Um, promulgated. I've, kind of, I, I imagine that many of us, if you've been socialized like I have been socialized, to think that it's a good thing to beat yourself up. I'm not saying that we should give ourselves a pass for everything that we're doing. I'm saying to notice when we do things that are helpful and skillful, and to notice when we don't do things that are helpful, skillful, unwholesome. To feel the effects of those things that we do that or unhelpful, only as much as it's helpful. Often we just keep on doing, we just keep on beating ourselves up in a way that's no longer helpful. We just get stuck in this loop. 
So to have compassion for oneself is to recognize that like all other human beings, we make mistakes and we're going to try. We're going to endeavor to be skillful, to be wholesome, to be helpful. So we'll do a guided meditation, compassion for ourselves. And it's going to build a little bit on the one that we did earlier. And I find that compassion for oneself is often um, really great if we have been abiding in some loving kindness first. And then we just kind of expand that to ourselves and and maybe some of our difficulties. But I'm also going to try to do this guided meditation in a certain amount of time. So I may be going at a pace where it's maybe it's not quite ready for you to move on to the next step. Perfectly fine. You don't have to be going the same pace I'm doing here. You can just stay, mindfulness of breathing, you can stay with just hanging out in some loving kindness. Or if we move towards loving kindness for oneself and you start to feel some distress, it feels a little bit overwhelming or too much, then you can back up and go to other practices. Take care of yourself. Treat yourself with respect and care. And that includes in the way in which you do this meditation. Okay, so... I'll um, say a little bit about the posture. It's really helpful if you have some comfort. So you're welcome to use any combination of chairs and cushions. Some people do this lying down just because that's the way they feel the most easeful. You're welcome to do that. You don't win any points for uh, you know, pushing through some physical difficulties. You may, if you're laying down, you may find it helpful to bring your knees up. You may, it may not. Whatever in a way that supports your body. Okay. So again, we'll start with three long, slow, deep breaths. Sometimes it's helpful to exaggerate the movements or the feeling of the breath to make it easier to connect initially. Allowing the breath to return to normal. Trusting again that the body knows how to breathe. We don't have to do anything in particular. We'll just do a little bit of mindfulness of the sensations of breathing. Just checking in with the movement of the abdomen, the movement of the chest, or the feeling of the air moving in and out of the nose. You can choose one of those three areas. And just very gently, softly, rest your awareness there.
you find yourself lost in thought, it doesn't have to be a problem. You just, with a kind attitude, bring your awareness back to the sensations of breathing. What does that inhale feel like from the inside? Can you just hang in there with the sensations of breathing? Maybe you bring a kind-heartedness to this sensations of breathing. We're just hanging out with them, watching them. can bring to mind a loved one, someone for whom it's easy to feel love, easy to feel warmth and care. Can you feel the love that you have for them, the care you have for them? You might feel it in your body and the around the heart center. Maybe there's a warmth, an openness, an ease. Maybe there's a feeling in the belly. Maybe there's a quiet corner, a sense of well-being or Can you hang out with that feeling of warmth, care, love? If you find it helpful, you might want to say phrases having that person in mind. May you be happy, sending them goodwill, benevolence, May you be happy. May you be healthy. 
May you live with ease. May you be safe. Can you check in with the body and see if there's this feeling of warmth, care? If it's helpful, maybe you visualize a light, a golden light coming from your heart to them. Allow yourself to, as best you can, to abide, to hang out in this feeling of care and love. Now we're going to build on this feeling of love and care. We're going to use this as a foundation. Not going to abandon it. Just going to expand it. As best you can while feeling this love. Can you bring to mind time when you've had a mild difficulty. We're not going to start with the most difficult one. Perhaps you had a headache. Perhaps you were late and, and you don't like to be late. Perhaps you were getting lots of annoying phone calls by people trying to sell you something. Notice how you feel when you think of this difficulty. How does your heart center feel? Do you continue to feel warmth, openness, Tenderness? Perhaps there are other sensations, maybe a pressure or a slight ache. Whatever is there, it's perfectly fine. Whatever is there, whatever we're experiencing. use it to support us if it's helpful. And just as we wish for our loved one's suffering to end, we wish that our own suffering, our own difficulties can end. Again, we're staying with a simple difficulty to begin with. We're not going to start with the most difficult one. 
And we can repeat these phrases to ourselves. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. May my difficulties be eased. May I find peace. And check in and see how this feels in the body, in the heart center.
Perhaps you feel warmth, openness, and tenderness. Perhaps not too. Whatever you're feeling is perfectly fine. And then to end this meditation, feel the pressure of the chair, the floor, the cushion against your body. Feel your feet on the ground. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So in that practice, we started again with some loving-kindness. Well, start mindfulness of breathing and then loving-kindness. And then, just, can we bring to mind a difficulty that we have? My encouragement not to choose the most difficult ones. This is a practice, right? We're kind of like building up our capacity. And then to see, how did it feel? What was it like to wish for ourselves, that our difficulties come to an end, that our suffering end, that we experience peace. I have a few minutes here. If somebody would like to share, what was that like? Was it the same as experiencing, wishing that for somebody else? Was it different? Or do you have a question? Do you have a comment? Yeah, so definitely doing uh, other people first is useful. <laughs> um, something that, I mean, maybe it's more of a visual, but I sort of thought, like, uh, do a lot of hiking and outdoor stuff, or maybe you're walking down a sidewalk. I imagine, like, coming across a bunch of water. The idea is, like, you can sit there and be like, oh, how am I going to get around this? You know if you go through it, you're probably going to get wet. And instead of trying to solve the problem, I like this idea of, like, how can I go through this as easily as possible? Or with minimal (laughs) discomfort. And uh, I think, again, having started thinking about other people, I was able to internalize that more for myself doing the personal one. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Well, that visualization and this recognition that it's, right, we don't want to start where it's the most difficult. There's no reason to do that. The idea that you're not trying to, like, make the problem go away, (laughs) (laughs) definitely helpful. Yeah, suffering is a part of the world. We're not going to fix all the suffering in the world just because we're wishing it or so. Yeah, thank you. Hi. Um, I find self-compassion to be profoundly difficult. Um, I have an occupation where competency is pretty much directly linked to uh, uh, how you do in the workplace. And uh, I would say that's where the majority of my difficulty comes because uh, you just have to be good. (laughs) You can't uh, you can't really get around that, and uh, it's a problem I haven't quite figured out how to solve yet. Because unlike some health concerns or, or relationship issues, lack of competency doesn't really solve itself. So, uh, how do you analyze 
the quality of your work without uh, getting in that um, destructive analysis of yourself. That's where my main difficulty lies. Yeah. Two things. Maybe one I'll say, an encouragement, if you can, not to start where it's the most difficult, right? (laughs) And then two, to recognize, is there a way to reframe, and I'm not saying this is easy, I'm not going to say this is easy, to reframe, to do what, to do one's best, to do things well for the sake of doing them well. For the sake of the good feeling of that we get of the confidence that arises, the um, sense of satisfaction as I'm I'm applying myself here. I've done what I know how to do, what I can do, what I'm able to do, because I'm a type of person, or I want to be a type of person that does what they're best. Maybe that doesn't quite feel right saying it that way. Um, Doing what is best, doing what is good, doing things well, just for the sake of doing them well. As opposed to the opposite, I'm doing them well because if I don't, then, you know, X, Y, Z, which is still true. I'm not saying that's not true. But if, we, if we're motivated, motivated by fear of something else, then it's hard to get around to care and love fear and love are the opposites so can we instead reframe the experience can i be striving to do my absolute best because of the beauty of doing the one's best and the feeling of satisfaction that it engenders something like this you you can find your own language around that but is to just recognize that the fear of the... I don't, I'm using the word fear. That's not a word that you used. But the concern about the consequences is different than just the recognizing the beauty, the grace, the satisfaction of doing things well. Well, it's... Uh, so actually, both of us, we work in the arts... And, um, and my specific discipline, um, how do I put this? It's like, it's like, uh, getting stronger, like, uh, weightlifting and, um, growth comes through self-analysis and finding where things are not the way they should be and fixing them. So it's kind of, uh, destruction first and then, and -hmm. then you strengthen through that. So, uh, I haven't found a way to improve without the destruction phase first. Yeah, okay. No, that's helpful. So is there a way you can say, mm, you know what, I should have done A a little bit better, and B, I didn't quite get it right, and C, I was almost there, but not quite right. Can you do this in a way that like, okay, now I know what to do, and now I'm going to strive to do this. And then stop there instead of like, oh my God, I can't believe I did A this way. Oh my God, I did A this way. Oh my God, I did A this way. A hundred, a thousand times over and over. Can we just say like, oh, you know what? I, I, this could be better here. This isn't quite right. And find a way and not to get into this self-preoccupation, self-obsession about it. Instead to use it as a way, as information, as a tool. And then just appreciate the beauty of when what is right. It's not, not 100% of things gone right. If it's 100% wrong, you probably would be in a different profession by now. So to acknowledge that it's not the only thing that happened, A, B, and C not being perfect, 
maybe happened, but maybe LMNOP worked out beautifully, and to recognize that both of those things happened. And that right, self-criticism is different than is than being critical. Like you like in the arts, like to be critical is to notice when things so it's not the same as self-criticism beating ourselves up. It doesn't mean we're a bad person and it doesn't matter we didn't also, it doesn't mean that we also didn't do other things that are well. So we can use our critique of our performance or our actions in a way that supports us as opposed to beat ourselves up. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is easy. It's a habit. This habit is really deep, but it's a habit. It's not who we innately are. It's not the truth of how things are. It's a habit. I think it's interesting that we're so... Okay, can you use that microphone? Oh, yes. I was just... Thank you. I guess what I was going to say is that it seems that it's so much easier to give compassion to others before ourselves. It's fascinating, right? It's much easier for some reason. Yeah, yeah, I think it's fascinating too. And I think for this practice, if um, it may be worthwhile to just hang out there doing compassion for other people until we feel like we have facility, that we recognize what it's like, that we can have access to it. Maybe we spend months, a year, a decade doing compassion for others in a way so that it just arises easily. And then it's whether you want it to or not, you're going to start having compassion for yourself. It just starts to bleed out and expand. This is why the real emphasis on starting where it's easy, we don't have to force it. It will naturally grow. And when we are teaching, right, because I have like this format and I'm like teaching what's possible, but it's likely that maybe we should just hang out with compassion for others for quite a while before we go to ourselves. Maybe not. All of us have our own life experiences, our own ways of practicing. So kind of honor and respect where you are and work with where you are, what's happening right now. Yes, so it's, uh, I'll answer quickly. We're right, we're right at the end here. Can we use this? Um, I'm also my worst critic, so I completely relate. <laughs> Um, but lately I've found that a great coping, a coping mechanism for myself is that I, I look at everything that's happened and I try to evaluate and see if I could learn from that. And then I say to myself, well, I forgive myself. You know, this uh, could have gone better or whatever it is. So my mantra is I forgive myself and I'm going to move on. And that seems to have worked for me. So I, I, I hope that... I mean, that's just one one way, Beautiful. and I wanted to share that. <laughs> nice. I forgive myself, and I'm going to move on. <laughs> okay, so it's 3.02. I want to respect everybody's time. I'll stay here. If you have some more comments, you're welcome to come up and talk to me or ask me. So I wish you all a wonderful day, and... May you all treat yourself as you would treat a good friend. Thank you.